Welcome to the Changemakers Podcast, brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, where we discuss ministry, marketing, and leadership for good. I'm your host, Ellen Graf Martin, and each episode you get to join me in conversation with some of the most interesting changemakers and groundbreakers from across Canada and beyond. Thank you for tuning in for this episode of the Changemakers Podcast. I'm so glad to have you here. Today, we have an interesting conversation with Andy Lubinsky. Andy is Vice President of Ministry Advancement at Bible League Canada. He is a changemaker in his work, and I have seen it firsthand. Andy is passionate about ministry marketing and what these things look like for the next generation. I have never met anyone who loves data and thinks through what it means as much as Andy. I have learned so much from him. Listen in as we discuss the value of humility, moving from corporate Canada to ministry, the importance of the accountability, collaboration, and innovation necessary for change, and the importance of mentorship and what Andy would say to himself 20 years ago. Let's jump in. Andy is passionate about ministry, marketing, and mentoring, and what this looks like for the next generation, and succession planning, all those different things. And I am so glad that you get to listen into our conversation today. Welcome, Andy. This is great. Thank you. It's a great privilege. We have gotten to work together since early 2017. And I have to say, even though you hired me as a consultant, I've learned a lot from you. And so that's why I'm so glad that you're here today, because I think people are going to really learn (laughs) from this podcast, probably maybe more than any of the other ones that we've had. I think they're going to really learn. So I just want to know, tell us a little bit about your background, because it is a non-traditional background for people uh, that we meet in ministry. Where have you worked? What have you done? Well, um, I graduated from uh, University of Toronto um, with an MBA and uh, chose to do a um, um, proceed through a, a business career. And um, I started off uh, working with uh, a number of organizations, starting with uh, Procter & Gamble. Um, I also worked with Campbell Soup Company and uh, marketing, uh, uh, mostly in, in marketing areas. And then went to McDonald's as well, um, working in marketing and was there for 13 years. I then um, decided to leave McDonald's and start my own consultancy, which I did for a number of years. It, it was interesting that um, my journey really started off in pure marketing. So I started off doing promotions, uh, you know, typical, you know, label graphics, product development in, in, in the, you know, sort of the canned goods uh, industry, and then working to promotions like Monopoly and McDonald's. Yes. And so all of that sort of evolved. Uh, but I found, I guess, in, in, it happened in McDonald's. Um, I mean, I was familiar with um, marketing research, but I found that I feel really fell in love with uh, marketing research uh, mm-hmm. there and found that, um, you know, th- there were th- things that were, that were actually measurable and you could uh, gather insights and actually make decisions based on that analysis. And so I ended up actually uh, starting the marketing research and, um, uh, and ultimately strategic planning uh, function uh, at McDonald's. Um, so I ended my career there as the senior director of strategic planning. So the, as I say, there's a, there's a constant learning process. So the more I found out about uh, research, the more, the more it informed strategic planning, the more I found out about strategic planning, the more I realized it was about organizational development. And the more I realized that it was about organizational development, it really came down to people. And then it was about individual people. And uh, that sort of led me back to, I mean, I've, I've been a lifelong Christian, a cradle Christian, if you will. And it sort of took me like 25 years to sort of come back to it really is about people. If it's about mm-hmm. people, it's about God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really ended up, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a slow learner, but uh, <laughs> but I found that, that that really is the answer. And then it almost was providential that at um, I was actually responding to a uh, consulting opportunity at the time, and I ended up having uh, a couple of long conversations with the folks at Bible League Canada, and um, started working um, on an assignment on a consulting assignment. At uh, well, about two months in, they they sort of came to me and said. We got some good news and we got some bad news. Uh, the, the the bad news is we can't afford to pay you anymore. Um, the good news is uh, how would you like to work for us for a lot less? And then, <laughs> and so I, I 
prayed about it. I talked about it. I talked to my pastor about it. And um, I just I decided to join. And even then, my, my role was a little bit um, uncertain, and, but it evolved into what it is now. And what is your role now? Well, right now, I'm uh, technically the uh, VP of Ministry Advancement, and I focus on, essentially, it, it's, it's sort of what's happened is that God has, he has prepared me through all my past experiences and given me certain skills and experiences and insights for whatever they're worth, and he has pretty much told me to apply these now. So I, I use what I've learned in whatever is required at Bible Canada, and that covers strategic planning, it covers mm-hmm. analytics, it covers uh, marketing and fundraising and branding and, um, and, and organizational development. So training and coaching and mentoring and things like that. One of the reasons why it has been so great to work with you is that you do have a really deep skill set mm-hmm. in these different areas. And I think, um, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about is, is as, a, as a challenge in ministry is a lack of... This sounds really, really judgmental, but a lack of available talent in the marketing with marketing experience and skill and the ministry heart. So uh-huh. how do you how do you get there? So because you do, you have the marketing experience and the ministry heart. What what makes you give up what can be a very lucrative career <laughs> uh, to pursue the ministry piece? Even you know, you've got these great marketable skills that yeah. people would pay you a lot of money for. Yeah. And it market and marketing for a ministry is not necessarily the most lucrative career. I want everyone to know that, yeah. but it really is meaningful. So, well, I think I think one of the big motivations for me was that I mean, it, this was ministry. This was actually bringing the gospel to people. Mm. Um, that's what this was about. That's what I honestly think that as I look back on my career, I'm not sure. Please don't take this the wrong way. I don't think I liked the trappings of business mm. enough that it, that it owned me. I was more interested in big ideas. And I guess this, and I, and I say this because as I went through this evolution, it was always the next big idea that was, that, that I wanted to learn more about. And, and so I was more interested in big ideas than, than in making money or having cars or anything like that, honestly, mm-hmm. because um, when I found myself, talking about how can we basically um, communicate the gospel to the the unreached. I mean, that, that was about as motivating as I could get. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the biggest idea I could think of spending time on. So, um, and then everything else that happened before was just tools. It's just application of tools. And those tools are neutral. Mm-hmm. I know some, there are some out there who think that marketing is the evil art and sales is just an abominable profession, but... Show me a, a really effective preacher, and I'll show you a really skilled salesperson, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know it's all inspired, et cetera, but the tools of salesmanship still apply. The tools of marketing still apply. All marketing is is a series of, of brand promises um, and, and trying to communicate what those are. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we all know in marketing, you, can, you, promise, you break a promise once, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's a matter of, Okay, what what am I going to say about myself or my organization? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I? What are people going to say about me, about us? And then how do I f- continue to fulfill that promise and make sure that their investment in that organization, in that brand, whether it's a product or a service or a ministry, is justified, mm. and they can feel good about it? Because you know what they say they're this and they are this mm-hmm. consistently, and they're reliable. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody knows that from, doesn't matter what, mm-hmm. what, what uh, circle you work in, uh, even as a consumer, you know that you're not going to go back to a brand that stops working. And, so. that's, and that is a good lesson from McDonald's. I actually think McDonald's yeah. is one of those brands that is reliable. Like when you order, it's actually a huge disappointment when you get your hamburger and it's not right. Yeah. Because that's not what you, you know that that's not, that's not yeah. the McDonald's experience. So right. I think that that, that corporate training <laughs> has paid off really well. <laughs> I know you you probably are a reliable person I think by nature, but McDonald's probably just fostered that. Is that, you know, when, can I, you have that corporate experience that Yeah, I, there's no doubt you learn lessons from I mean, I, you learn lessons from wherever you go and at McDonald's, I mean, they were a world-class organization. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, when I look back, I mean, I was I was very fortunate and very blessed to have spent time there. Um, you know, they had their challenges and 
and, um, and drama, et cetera, but like any organization, but uh, I learned a great deal there. And the whole notion of the thing I take away from, it was always bigger than burgers. It was always mm. bigger than hamburgers. It was about people. They talked about how, um, how important teamwork was, um, which then I think there's obviously a gospel parallel to whole, mm-hmm. that whole notion, to lay down your life for your friends. I mean, that, that's how mm-hmm. they lived that, okay? Mm-hmm. And that you always, you always thought about your teammate first, um, which is w- what that gospel speaks to. It's you know important. What? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Cutting you up. I just see an interesting parallel. When you said it, it was always bigger than burgers. Yeah. So I think you and I, I mean, I've worked with a lot of different ministries and yeah. and love them. And what the, the major project that we got to work on together for the Bible League was on building the Bible League brand, right. Bible League Canada brand. And I think that there is a little bit, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out on a limb but I, I suspect that a lot of ministries have a block in the idea that kind of that there's a there's a bigger piece than than could be Bibles. Like for the Bible League, mm-hmm. it's bigger than Bibles, mm-hmm. or it's bigger than insert the frame of reference for the ministry. Like it's bigger than child development projects, or it's bigger than this, or it's bigger than that, because it is about people. And and when we drilled down together on the Bible League brand. Mm-hmm. That's actually where we landed, wasn't it? Yeah. And I and we hadn't had this conversation before, but we landed on that Canadian champion who really believes in in equipping a local champion in a country around the world who is reaching people with the gospel. And he, this is a person who has been transformed. So mm-hmm. we actually went bigger than Bible. So the name Bible League makes you think that right. our brand would be all about Bibles. And Bibles aren't in the brand, actually. Right. It's about the life-transforming Word of God um, but it went to people, didn't it? Well, ultimately, yes. And it, it really was about transformed lives. It's about um, putting the... I often think of our brand as... There's pieces to a puzzle in the work that we do. Uh, the Bible is certainly a major piece, mm-hmm. a, an essential piece. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we could not do it without, without that piece. But we also have um, a training context of some kind, whether it's church planner training or adult Bible-based literacy or, or, or children's ministry, there's a training component that is fused with the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then um, we work with uh, indigenous leaders. So we don't, mm-hmm. we're not a sending agency. Uh, we work with people who are on the ground and they know how best to, to preach the gospel. They just need to be equipped. Mm-hmm. And all we do as an organization, quite frankly, is we put those pieces of the puzzle together and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Mm-hmm. So... Um, yeah. It's bigger than Bibles. Like it's exactly. bigger than burgers, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And I and I think that that is actually what it makes it a compelling brand to me is I yeah. is I think beyond the how. So I think and I guess this is a good question for you. Have you seen this happen? I have, I think, that in ministry we often get the how confused with the who we are or the why we do it. Is that fair? Have you seen that? Or the we get our we we have a hard time remembering the real why. <laughs> And we think that the how we do it, our method of doing it, is our is our brand, but it's not necessarily, is it? No, and sometimes we can also make the mistake of clinging to the how we do it, and mm-hmm. thinking, well, that's the model, and that's what's worked, and that's and that's how we and have that's how to we do have it. it, and that's our tradition or whatever, and um, we can easily trap ourselves by that mm-hmm. and understand what. It's always good to go back to why are we doing this. Every once in a while, it's good to have that sobering conversation with yourself, with your team, to say, what, what's our purpose? Mm-hmm. And then what then leads to, okay, so if that's our purpose, what's our vision? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. where do we, and exactly what does the future look like if we were to fulfill this purpose? And then you can get into a discussion of two, okay, so how are we going to go about that? And is, and is our current system or process or structure designed for that? Mm. Okay. Which then one of the things I, I often say to my team is, you know, every organization is perfectly designed for the results they are getting. Okay, so those of you who are, who may be hockey fans, um, the Toronto Maple Leafs were perfectly designed to lose to the Boston Bruins twice. Yes. In the playoffs, <laughs> they're perfectly designed for that. You may not like that result if you're a fan, mm-hmm. um, but if you want to change it, you're going to have to change mm-hmm. the design. And so that's why design is sort of a, 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 a 
a placeholder for the, what you mentioned, the, the how, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to look at what do I change? Mm-hmm. Um, and quite frankly, that's also the, the call of the gospel. I mean, I am who I am because of all kinds of things that have, God had nothing to do with. So if I'm going to listen to the gospel and actually be transformed, A, I have to listen, mm-hmm. but B, I then have to ask myself, okay, what am I doing? Mm. That that is keeping me away from the fulfilling life that God wants for me. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it can be very humbling, and I think um, I know that's an important feature yeah. of your organization is, is staying humble. And I honestly, uh, I've, I've actually read quite a bit on the, the value of humility. I'm sort of I'm rambling. No, it's good. Go for it. That's on the good. value of humility, but uh, one writer um, said that that his conclusion was that humble people are actually the easiest to work with mm. because they don't. They don't cling to who they are. They're not out to, uh, you know, make a name for themselves. They always know that there's probably somebody out there who knows way more than I do. And my prayer is I wish I could meet them so that I could learn. Mm. Um, you are a learner. And yeah. And, <laughs> you are really a learner. Well, yeah. And, and I'm absolutely convinced that my suggestion to anyone who wants to grow their career is just never stop learning and always, always seek out people. Um, who might know more than you? Um, I, I've just actually anecdotally, if I can, yeah, veer from the uh, from the uh, um, sort of the ministry sphere. Um, I was reading an article about uh, Nick Nurse, the recent uh, champion coach of the uh, Toronto Raptors. Okay, yeah, and he had just won a championship, and so it's easy for, to sit back and say, "Whoa, well, I guess I've got this figured out. I know how to do this." But you know what he did in the off season? He went to and. Sports people will know these names. They, he went and had a meeting with Bill Belichick, who is a legendary NFL coach who had repeated championship rings. And he went and he won and he asked him, how do you repeat? Because he's done mm. it once. How do you repeat? He didn't waste any time at all. He went and I'm going to go to somebody who knows more than me and, and build myself up that way. And that takes humility. Oh, it takes huge humility. Because you have to go cap in hand, knock on the door and say, can I just have a few minutes? with you just to mm-hmm. pick your brain. Mm-hmm. And um, I think most people are, they're willing to help mm-hmm. if asked and if, depending on how they're asked, mm-hmm. uh, they're willing to help. And so I'd suggest to anyone who, you want to grow yourself, just just commit yourself to learning. Oh, that's so good. And, that is so good. And And I have heard you say you're perfectly designed for the results that you are getting. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. And I think that that's actually some, that's a massive challenge to nonprofit organizations because I think that we are tempted to blame everything but ourselves mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's yep. not working. It's because we can't get, you know, if you're a sports team, you can't get the right players, don't have the right budget. Don't, people don't want to come to Canada, you know, whatever those things are. Or if you're a nonprofit organization, Canadians are giving less times are changing, millennials, everyone blames millennials for not giving. Um, You know, there are all these external factors that it's so tempting to blame. But sometimes I honestly, I mean, part of the reason why this is the Change Makers podcast um, and why we're actually even doing a podcast is because I want to help organizations identify opportunity to change (laughs) and, and to, uh, and to help the next generation of leaders Mm -hmm. identify that they can be change makers too. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think honestly that those two things go hand in hand, Mm -hmm. that some of the new leaders won't step into these organizations if they aren't willing to also say, okay, we also need to change. Mm -hmm. So to let new change makers in, you need to change. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yes. You have to be ready for change. And you, I think you're also touching on the importance of accountability. Mm. Um, is to be is to is to take on the fact that it's up to me to decide what I need to change and identify what I need to change uh, to do that prayerfully and and with humility. Um, it's really interesting. Um, th- there was a, an author, business author, back in the nineties. Um, her name is Rosabeth Moss Cantor, who wrote. I'm sorry with all for all that's these. That's good. Sport, We're gonna have all these analogies. in the show notes. So yeah, that's yeah. good. Rosabeth Moss Cantor. She wrote a book whose the name of which escapes me, but if you just look her up, you'll find this. She did a study of, uh, of sports teams, all levels, professional down to high school. And she distinguished between teams that had been extremely unsuccessful 
and teams that were extremely successful. So high school teams that had never lost a, a basketball game in like five years, and then high school teams that had never won a basketball game for five years, as an example. And her conclusion, one of, one of the, she found three features, and one of them was accountability. The team that was winning all the time, if there was something wrong, if there was a mistake, if somebody so-called blew it, it was always, okay, that's on me. We did that. Mm -hmm. We did that. Now, how do we fix it? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the teams that uh, uh, were losing is always, well, the alumni don't support me. Well, you know, the students just don't care. Well, the referees have it out for us. And there's always, there's always an excuse. There's always somebody else. And um, I thought that was pretty insightful. And, uh, I Do you remember the other two things? Accountability? Um, collaboration. Okay, so the team that was winning all the time, if you wanted anything, they would give it to you. Hmm. The ones that was losing is, well, that's sort of a secret document. I can't really share that. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was like, uh, as an example, I'm just that's illustrating that, that sort of secrecy. And oh, you can only have so certain conversations with certain people and just cautiousness. Whereas collaborate, it's like, okay, let's get together. Let's share everything we know and find out what the best idea is and 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 that's problem solved moving and that's forward. That's a huge shared value between you and I. I yeah. know. I love collaboration, right. wise collaboration yeah. and healthy collaboration, right. which is difficult and hard work. Right. Um and I know you do it too. It takes more time. It takes way more time. Yeah. Um however, I think it the results are extraordinary. Yeah. And the third item was uh trying things out. Mm. Okay? So there were the, the there were, um, in, in the successful teams, what she witnessed was a practice where there were ideas that were still great ideas, and the team was dismantling them, like abandoning them and say, we can do better. We can do better. Well, wait a sec, this works. No, no, we can do better. And there was constantly a, an encouragement to try things out. That innovation. Innovation. And whereas the teams that were not so su- successful is, first of all, they never had permission to try things out. Oh, I wouldn't do that. The coach would be really be upset about that if I tried that. Um, mm. That that sort of spirit, if if that makes sense. So. So, and I think I think what you have just identified those three things are gaps in a lot of organizations. Um, collaboration is tough because it, when we're looking at the donor dollar, um, as we know, it can be a real challenge to yeah. find organizations that want to collaborate because you're chasing the same donor dollar. It can be hard to find churches that want to collaborate mm-hmm. um, because for some reason we have this mindset that the, the king, I don't know that God's pockets are small. I don't uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. Um, and I know that it's much bigger than that, but it can be hard to find groups to collaborate with. And I know that that's a piece that you're active in at the Bible mm-hmm. league as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the innovation and you have challenged me on innovation as well. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a framework for innovation. So like it's, uh, it's more than brainstorming. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about that. Okay. Just in, in summary form, it's a, it's a whole sort of system, if you will. Um, and, and there are other systems out there that, are, that this is going to sound similar to, but um, what we typically call brainstorming, and, and I know we all enjoy it when someone says, okay, let's brainstorm. And we start throwing ideas around the table. And sometimes you get some good solutions. But what brainstorming really is, uh, based on the analysis, is I, analysis that I have read, it's really just using, just stretching traditional thought patterns. Hmm. So the way you always thought, all you're doing is stretching it a bit and maybe taking a baby step into a place where you may not have gone, but it's not really what I would call innovation. So innovation is, is designed, it's a, it's a very specific methodology where you ask questions that are designed to turn your thinking upside down. Hmm. And I'll give you an example. Just to throw out a question in front of a group. Okay, we're going to spend the next hour listing with great enthusiasm all the things we would never do as a ministry. Never do. And list them and very seriously consider them. Now, none of those is going to be the answer or your innovative solution, but it's where they lead to. Hmm. Because you might find something that, well, it can't work this way, but it could work if if you just tweaked it that way. Mm Mm-hmm. But you never would have started there if all you were doing was stretching about all the things that we normally do. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they're reliable and they've stood us well. And now how do we stretch that? That's okay. There's a place for that. And there's some solutions that are good that way. 
But if you really want to be innovative, you, you have to turn your brain upside down. And it's, 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 a, it's a conscious effort and it's uncomfortable. And it takes time. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard work. It is hard work. And, and you, you, you sometimes will go through, and I've seen this because I've participated in it and, and I've seen this. You, you sometimes will go a couple of days in, in a session like this and think this is a complete waste of time. We're not, we're not getting anywhere. There's been no light bulbs going on. Like, and it'll, it'll literally feel that way. And then, then you start getting breakthroughs. So good. And, and one of the innovative things that you're doing at the Bible League right now, which I just think is so cool. I think, so one of those things may be that what we would never do is take every single donor to the field. Yep. But you're rolling out a really innovative, interesting thing right now with these, okay, because I didn't even know how to use them. These Google Glasses to do, what, tell us about that a little it's bit. Like, it's, like, it's, like, it's basically like virtual reality. Okay, so it's like you're literally, you put these glasses on, you, there's steps to follow, and you literally, you're in India. And it's like- You can put your phone into the glasses yeah. and you can look around. And you look around and it's like you're in India. Like you're li- you can almost touch them. It's, 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 it's like, if you can't take them there, well, let's bring them here. Exactly. So you would never take every donor to the field, but what if- What if, exactly. You could. And how could we do that? And so I, I think that that is- um, you've really fostered this idea of innovation. And I know one of your greatest frustrations as we talk is how hard it is to be innovative in a ministry setting. And I think that's because we always have these barriers. I hear them all the time. You know, we don't have a donor for that, or we don't have enough money for this, or we don't. But there, it's amazing what you can do with a bit of creativity yes. and Google Glasses that don't cost that much money and right. and all of these. I just, and, and so I really applaud that. And I, because I think, that what our what our ministry or nonprofit or marketing sphere reads, needs right now, and this leadership area as well as that innovation mm-hmm. and people willing to be right. change makers. Now, the thing about innovation also is it needs to be managed because sometimes, especially in senior circles, people are afraid of innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, in the um, corporate world, um, people are. Uh, Wall Street does not like, they're afraid of innovation, okay? If you want to get your stock downgraded, <laughs> just start, start, you know, extolling innovative ideas, okay? Because they know that there's risk. And there is risk with innovation. So there's a couple things, there's a couple ways to manage it. Number one, it has to be controlled in the sense that you have to have a, a means by which to test these ideas out in a real world situation. Whether that's focus groups, whether that's in small market tests or, or things that you can do online. Um, so, so you have to have that, that way to control the risk, right? But then you also, back to the notion of trying things out, you also have to welcome, you have to welcome people with ideas that may sound outrageous and listen to them. And I say to my staff, look, I will listen to anything. I don't care how crazy it is. I won't necessarily say yes to everything, but uh, I'll listen to everything. So with that invitation and with a means of testing, Mm-hmm. Um, you now then say, okay, so what innovative idea actually makes it to test? And just have some very simple criteria that says there's a rationale for it. State mm-hmm. your assumptions clearly. Say, okay, I, I think this idea can work for these, these, and these reasons. Okay, sounds reasonable. Let's take it to a test and see if that's, mm-hmm. and, and, and mm-hmm. verify the hypothesis. And then once it's tested, then, then, then the whole world opens up. If it tests successfully... And chances are it won't be 100% successful, but you'll learn from it. Mm-hmm. And, and you keep trying things. So the, my point is that there's ways to manage it prudently. So senior leaders shouldn't be afraid of it. Mm. Oh, that's good. Because there are parameters that you can install so that you're not sort of betting mm-hmm. the farm on something unproven. Mm-hmm. And I think, I honestly think that we're touching on, in, in saying that we're touching on a lot of things. One of the things that I think prohibits innovation is this uh, an idea of stewardship. And I think sometimes what we call stewardship is actually fear, uh, that yeah. we are afraid of, of a donor being mad and phoning us and saying, why are you spending my money on this? So I think there's a little bit of stewardship that is actually fear. And I think that there's, um, I think that we also are afraid of innovation because we don't have the skill sets. And going back to the beginning of our conversation, where it can be really hard to find 
the people with the skill sets to manage the innovation right. and even implement it. So how do we, I guess, and we know that there's a gap. And if you could dream big and say, here's how I would fill that skill gap right now, how would you do it? Well, um, I'll give you an example from our, from our ministry. One of the things we concluded um, in analyzing our ministry was that we had some great content in terms of stories from the mm-hmm. field. Um, outstanding. In fact, every agency that we ever worked with remarked on the quality of our content. Um, our growth rate was okay, but not where we wanted it to be. And so we thought about that and said, well, what's standing in our way? And it, it, we came to the conclusion that, you know what? We're, we're just not telling the story as effectively as we might. And so what's the solution? Well, there's a number of solutions uh, that you could entertain. But one of the things we resolved to uh, pursue was to, we're going to learn. Hmm. We're going to teach ourselves how to become outstanding storytellers. And if we have to overspend, um, and I can see all, hear all the finance people say, what do you mean <laughs> overspend? But, <laughs> yeah. but if you have to prudently overspend on things that are going to make us better writers and better storytellers, then we should do that. Because we got a huge asset here called great content that we're underutilizing. So on a strategic level, it makes sense to do that. And we've actually done that now for, for well, a couple of years. And we've encouraged, uh, uh, so, so the way to, to answer your question, mm-hmm. if I'm answering it, um, how do you invest in it? Well, you find out what you need to get good at and then, and then spend the money and the time to get good at it. And uh, not unlike Nick Nurse, go find the experts who know how to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of, the, one of the steps we've taken is we've identified uh, ministries that are consistently, produ- not just ministries, charities, period, of all stripes, um, that are growing consistently at double-digit rates. And let's find out wh- why are they doing that? How are they doing that? And let's pick their brain. Again, go knock mm-hmm. on their door in humility mm-hmm. and say, listen, you're doing something that we don't think we know how to do. Can we talk to you? And this is so different than an arrogant, we are better than everyone else. We are going to do it better than everyone else. And kind of digging a hole, yeah. <laughs> which we've seen. I think this is very different. And I think part of the reason why you can authentically do this goes actually back to brand. Because when we were doing brand with you, we talked about what makes you unique as an organization. And so I think you have a real firm grasp there about the call of the ministry and about the why. I think having your why really solid allows you to go and dig in on those other areas and say, it is worth growing this because we have a call that is so um, critical and that we're clear on. We're clear on what we're called to do, so let's do it as best as we can. Is that fair to say? I mean, that's what I've seen from the organization. Why we do what we do is because the world needs a living word of God more than anything else, and we've seen that proven over Mm -hmm. and over and over again. So that's our commitment. And now that we have that, it's, okay, how can we use everything we've learned all of our talent, because God speaks to our talents as well, mm-hmm. and um, and He points to ways that we can be, become more effective, that we can redesign ourselves to achieve uh, better results, and mm-hmm. and yeah. So the why is really important, as so you say. If there's someone who is listening, who is working their way up in a career, has a career ladder and a financial goal in mind. Um, and has a skill set, but may actually feel really compelled to get into a ministry role. Maybe a, I'm just thinking we need some really good, talented marketing people. Um, in we need great marketers mm-hmm. to do what we're doing and to be able to pursue the call. But they're conflicted. What would you say to them? Okay. So what would you say to yourself 20 well, yeah, years ago? Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting. Um, if you're conflicted, I think you have to spend some time, and only you can do this. Spend some time deciding why you're conflicted, but in the conversations I have had, some of it has to do with, um, I, well, financial compensation, that's one of them, okay? Mm-hmm. So you, you, don't, you don't go into this uh, sector to get rich, believe me. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> though the na- some naysayers might think that you do, but you don't at all. But th- there's that. But the other thing is, ask yourself what you're, what you're actually afraid of, um, and then I think what, what some of the, what that might be is that you're not sure that you can be successful. Mm. I'll tell you something. Um, I was just at a, at a conference a while ago, and they had a really interesting exercise that, uh, and this was like 300, oh, 
there may have been seven or 800 people in the room. And the, um, the speaker said, I'm going to put us through an exercise. Uh, everybody had a piece of paper in front of them, and they write, write something down that you're most afraid of, that you're comfortable sharing. So you, everybody wrote something down. He said, okay, first of all, crumple it up and put it in a ball. And then hand your fear to someone else that you don't know. And uh, so we did this for like five minutes. Everybody handed. And so then he says, all right. He started listing categories of fears, okay? And some of it were fairly innocuous, uh, you know, fear of heights, fear of, you know. And then, and then in each case, he asked those who, when they unraveled their piece of paper, is the fear that's in front of you about that? And each time people would stand up. So with each one, a few people would stand up, a few more people would stand up. So you had about maybe 10% of the room standing up after about the first four or five fears that they listed. And then he said, how many of you have the fear of failure in front of you? Three quarters of the room stood up. Hmm. Fear of failure. And these were ministry leaders. These were ministry leaders. These were, I would say, mid to high level ministry hmm. leaders and fundraisers. Okay. Fear of failure. So that, to me, that spoke volumes. Mm. Is that you, you ultimately have to, and this is where it takes faith to make a leap like this. Mm-hmm. You ultimately have to surrender your life to God and say, Lord, I don't know where this is going. I mm-hmm. think I have some talent that can be applied. But mm-hmm. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to just, I'm going to hang on to you. Mm-hmm. And, and then, and then don't be afraid to just let go and let God lead it. Hmm. He knows what your talents are. He knows how you want they, how they need to be deployed. And part of that fear may be that you'll quickly realize that whatever you learn in business is not just plug and play. The principles still apply, but they have to be reinterpreted, repositioned, and reapplied. So you have to. You can't just okay. Well, well. Here's 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 a promotion rule or a rule of promotion and. Okay, make sure we do that. Well, it's not necessarily exactly like that. It's about people. It's about, yeah, it's about, it's got to take in, people into account mm-hmm. and you have to re-examine everything you learn. Mm-hmm. And that can be time-consuming and stressful. And, and yeah, maybe some people might be a little bit afraid of that. And, you know, because there's lots of stories of people who try to make the transition and they fail. And the reason why they fail, honestly, in my opinion, is because they just, they come with a certain, um, Way of doing things. This is the way it's done. It's the way it's yeah. done. I mean, there there are epic stories of people who were award winning salesmen, and at the end of their careers, decide, well, I want I want to be a fundraiser, and they go in, and they fail, hmm. because they're applying pure sales, unrefined, un like raw sales skills mm-hmm. into talking about a person's heart, hmm. and that's just it's just such a different conversation. We are um, doing marketing for good. Yeah. Right? Like that is our tagline yeah. here. Yeah. Is that it's marketing for good yeah. and it, it's for the kingdom and yeah. empowered by the spirit and all of those things. Right. That I have a, I keep a scripture. I don't know if I've ever told you this. I keep a scripture on my whiteboard and mm-hmm. I have for years. And it is about the craftsman that God equipped to build the tabernacle. Uh. And it's about a guy named Bezalel that nobody talks about. Bezalel, son, I think it's son of Ur. Um, and it says, look, he is a craftsman that was called. Mm. And then God says, look, I have equipped him with all the skills he needs to build this tabernacle. And, and I think that that, if I was to say like, what is the key? And I think it's to be a craftsman skilled and be open to the spirit of God equipping you for the task that he's called you to. Is that fair to say? I would say that's absolutely Accurate. I think that is such a key. So if you are one of those people listening, <laughs> um, and I, I honestly think that that's a humility to be open, not just to to other people telling you, but also to the Spirit of God through those people and in different ways. Like I sometimes have no idea how I know how to do my job. It doesn't make any sense to yeah. me in some ways, but I am pretty good at it, I think. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and again, it's we all go through periods of our lives where we think, you know, I don't, I don't even know— I'm, like, am I even a Christian? Like, you, you question everything. Mm-hmm. and But that's okay. God knows that those conversations are happening. Mm-hmm. As long as you keep looking at him for the answers, mm. the answers will come. 
It's good. And this whole notion of fear of failure, if I can just come back to that for a second, yeah. in terms of a culture, building a culture, so and, and innovation, one of the things you have to instill in people is to don't be afraid to fail. Okay. Now that doesn't mean, okay, good. We can just try anything. Mm-hmm. and Because it goes with accountability too. Yeah, also you have to still have to be accountable for it. Yeah. Um, but just, you have to instill in your team and your teammates that, look, we'll try this. It may not work, mm-hmm. but let's mm-hmm. not be afraid. Let's give it everything we have. So. Mm-hmm. And I know for our team, with our first core value that you identified of being humble and being honest, yeah. That is a measure of accountability there is yeah. that we accept responsibility for our mistakes that we it, it we can innovate and we can try but we also have to accept responsibility and take learnings forward from right. what we try and doesn't work. So right. yeah, this is so good. And so Andy, you are a kind of a non-traditional leader in a nonprofit world. I don't know how you have survived in some of these meetings. I'm guessing you have gone a little bit crazy in some of them they sit through because they can be very non-strategic some of the, the mm-hmm. when we sit through some of these. I'm I'm not saying you and I have sat in the meetings, but yeah. I have sat in meetings where I think, okay, we really need some good marketing strategy here mm-hmm. and just some strategy here. The other area that you really, really love, and when you come alive, you're talking about something that bores most of the population to death, and that is analytics. You <laughs> love analytics. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Well, I think, uh, I guess I, I'm, I'm based on the uh, personal assessments I've taken. Um, I am wired for that, first of all. Um, but um, I, I, like the, I like it as a tool because I think, I think that they can answer a, a lot of questions that um, actually t- intuition, frankly, is, is not even equipped to answer, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and my approach is to, to exhaust the analytics, right, and then let it go. What questions can it answer? And then let it go and then turn to intuition. So if you look at these mm. two sides of things, you definitely need intuition. Mm-hmm. You, you definitely need to consult and be aware of your emotions. You Neurologically, you cannot make a decision without consulting your emotions. However, it's all, also you also need objective information. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it's a tool. It's, 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 mm-hmm. All it is is information. So ask yourself, what can the analytics tell you? Okay. Um, and then what, what is it not telling you? And then that's when you go to the other side and you look mm-hmm. for uh, qualitative information you look for intuition, you consult your emotions. In the end, you, you always consult your emotions. How does this feel? Mm-hmm. And uh, just be open to a, here I'm going to use numbers, 360 degree approach mm-hmm. um, to investigation and problem solving. And don't turn down anything. And we need some good analytics people in nonprofit work, <laughs> especially in Christian areas. I, and I have seen that. I know even for us, one of, I know we have tons of data and we don't maximize it because we are led by passion sometimes yes. instead of being led by what we already actually know. Is that fair to say? Well, uh, yes. Or we're led. The way I, I like to think about it is it, I've always felt, and I honestly think that uh, I think that God created us to be this way, is that we be reason-driven uh, and emotionally sensitive hmm. as opposed to the other way around. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we are emotionally driven, mm-hmm. and then we try to rationalize our emotions. And I can understand that, <laughs> right? I can and identify I, with that. And I th- and I think I think sometimes it's a good idea. So okay, what is reason telling me first? Mm-hmm. And then and then, but I have to be sensitive. You can't just make, you can't just use the facts and beat people mm-hmm. overhead with the facts. You have to also then be emotionally sensitive. What is it? How am I feeling about it? How will this make other people feel? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's a real art to mm-hmm. be able to communicate good thinking mm-hmm. and good ideas and good recommendations uh, with a sensitivity towards emotional reaction that that that, that will inevitably occur. Um, people will tend to, it's just easier for the, in the human condition to just go with what you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I, th- I think we can see the perils of that. All you have to do is look at some of the rants that occur in social media to realize they're so emotionally, there's just no reasoning yeah. going on there at all. We miss logic sometimes. In yeah. Some and, and so. Yeah. No. And I, I think that's important. And I, and I think it is something for us to really be aware of 
Because the reality is, is that in the stories and the content that you get to have access to through Bible League and through what I get to have access through to the work we do with so many organizations, is that it is, we are compelled emotionally Mm -hmm. because we, not to see the plight of people around the world um, and not just around the world, but in our own communities and across the country um, that we live in. But I think we also, we care about them. Like we care deeply about the work that we get to do or you wouldn't do this work, you know, that we care so deeply that we can actually forget that we need reason as well. And we need to stop. (laughs) Like I've actually told clients before, I want you to stop doing that until we figure out or stop creating content is actually something that I often tell people, stop creating content until we figure out what content you already have. Yeah. And I think that's partly because we're so compelled to share the story that we want to tell it in a thousand different ways. Yes. Um, and we forget that five really great stories that stick with people are better than a thousand stories that yeah. uh, just fill our brains. Right. And and so I think the reason my mom always said to me, God gave you a brain for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, and I think that it's, it, well, it, it is good for us to remember that. Yeah. And I think also it's, it's also biblical. It's God's character. Hmm. There was one um, biblical uh, uh, critic who said, who talked about the fact that that um, he, his belief was that in, in the, the parts of the Bible where there's poetry, that that was God expressing his emotions. Hmm. And there were other parts when he talks about reason and law and things like that, that was his logic. So in the Song of Solomon, he, he you know, you have a certain, a whole aspect of God's character there that you don't see in the instructions he gave to Noah or, to build the ark or in Leviticus or yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's, we're, we're sort of two sided that way and both of them are important, but to yeah. do one to the exclusion of the other is. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. So good. And so Andy, Oh, we could talk for hours. Yeah. I know that we could talk for hours because we have talked for hours <laughs> before. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, so you are a non-traditional person in this sector in many ways, but in one of the ways, um, not just that you are Ukrainian. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, I appreciate that. That's pretty I, unique. I totally get that because um, of my dad's background. However, I think the other really interesting thing to me is that you are Catholic um, and and we don't see, I have a deep appreciation personally for this because I was raised by a mother who was raised Catholic. And so I have a, such a deep appreciation and I learned to love the spirit of God because of my mother's example, um, which people wouldn't necessarily associate with being Catholic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think, um, I think there's something we can learn. And I'll tell you one of the other reasons why I want to touch on this because normally I wouldn't pull out someone's denominational affiliation in a podcast. But I think a reason um, I want to talk about this is because a few years ago, I was really convicted um, that I had worked in a primarily evangelical world. Uh And the reality is the church in Canada is small Mm -hmm. and, and we need each other. And I realized that when we were hosting events, we were inviting we were so exclusive. We were inviting our evangelical brothers and sisters yeah. and kids, considering them family. Yeah. And I, I don't know what it was that totally changed. We had a Catholic chaplain come in and talk to our team and do a lunch and learn. And I realized that I was calling our Catholic brothers and sisters our Catholic friends. Mm. And I actually used that word. I said, we have, to, and I said to our team, we have to start remembering our Catholic friends. And then I realized what a jerk I was <laughs> because I was saying our Catholic friends and not our Catholic brothers and sisters. Mm. And I was actually leaving them out of the family. I was discounting them as part of the family, which is not okay. And uh, and so that actually changed things in a huge way for us as an agency where we were, we've been very intentional about saying we are for the, the family of God. Yeah. And yeah. so we include our Catholic brothers and sisters and our Orthodox brothers and sisters as much as our yeah. Pentecostal or Presbyterian. And so I just want to say that I'm so glad that you are in the role that you're in, but I also want to ask you, how does it feel <laughs> to be one of those brothers who has potentially been discounted and maybe not even thought, maybe you don't realize that. Did you even know that people felt that way? Uh, no, I, I'm quite aware of it actually. Um, and for, first of all, let me say this, that, um, 
I think that, uh, again, being a learner, I, I think that my exposure and my in-depth exposure to Protestant theology and what we call what is commonly called evangelical theology has been has only been enriching to me. Mm. I mean, I've I've just learned so much, um, and um, I would also say that there are there's there is some people think we're miles apart. I honestly don't think. I think we're inches, maybe feet. It's not miles. It just isn't. Um, th- th- there's so much that we share in terms of our theology and our belief system. So let me... Because let me, you on. love the gospel, right? I love the gospel. You I love mean, Jesus. It's, it's all about Jesus. It's <laughs> yeah. always what it's ever been. It, it's, it's all about loving Jesus and Jesus at, at the center. And I don't care what the denomination is, you know. Uh, I, I, one of my favorite verses, and I've, I think about it often, is when, when Jesus says to Peter, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Hmm. I think that just about any denomination that is Bible-believing and Jesus-believing would agree with that. And as long as we're all saying that, mm. that puts us on the same team. Mm-hmm. Everything else, yeah, there may be ritualistic things or maybe things that are, that are, and, and, and we emphasize uh, different mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but we're essentially all on the same team. So mm-hmm. let me go back to- We're in the same family. We're in the same family. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and first of all, there is value in the various denominations. There are some people who think, and even amongst in Catholic circles who think, well, well, they're wrong and we've got it right. And I think that is probably a, a, a kind of narrative you hear in a number of denominations. My personal view, and again, it, it comes from, I've learned so much. I think that, that the different denominations, they focus on certain aspects mm-hmm. of the gospel and they become really, really good at that aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for example, the Baptists, they totally get the whole notion of being born again, mm-hmm. and what that means and how you should do that. And they, they can predict for you exactly the whole path in great detail about what being born again uh, mm-hmm. is, is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure the Catholics really mm-hmm. understand that as well. The uh, Pentecostals, they totally understand the whole notion of the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the belief in miracles mm-hmm. and that they can happen anytime mm-hmm. and that the Spirit of God is living and alive and all of this. I mean, I sit at the feet of those two groups and I just, this is great. I'm learning. Awesome. I, I'm getting to learn more. Yeah. And um, I also think that um, in terms of, the, you talked about the difference between evangelicals and Catholics. Sometimes mm-hmm. we don't use those words interchangeably. Mm-hmm. We think, well, if you're evangelical, you can't be Catholic. Or if you're Catholic, you can't be evangelical. Um, I know the, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada did some research that showed that um, the, if you look at straight numbers, percentage-wise, this isn't true, but in straight numbers, there are slightly more even uh, Catholics who fit the definition in terms of behaviors and belief systems of being evangelical than the, the Protestant evangelical world. Okay, that's so, crazy. Yeah, which wow. is but it, you're I mean, going to blow people's it, minds. It's a small <laughs> it's a small margin, uh, but but it's it's not what you would think. Now, mm-hmm. percentage wise, there's absolutely no doubt that there are a ton of nominal and cultural Catholics. Mm-hmm who, quite frankly, are, they just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. They're Christmas and Easter Catholics, uh, funerals and weddings, and First Communions and Confirmation. They're all there for the big things. Mm-hmm. But everyday Sunday attendance or Bible reading, it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, so percentage-wise, there are more Catholics who actually would not be confused with being even numbers-wise. Numbers-wise. More... Yeah. I do air quotes, evangelical Catholics. Yeah. And I, and it's amazing. And That's EFC data. We'll look for the study and try to link it in the right. show notes. And if you look at, if you look at the, the, the evangelical, the traditional evangelical churches, it's a much higher percentage mm-hmm. they are devoted. Okay. So, um, so in terms of devotional levels, the, you know, we have a, the bottom line is we have a lot to learn from each other. We really do. And, and, and I find that um, it's really interesting though. Uh, when I was in the Ukraine, I did a chance to uh, help the Ukrainians uh, teach them a little bit about strategic planning. And so I introduced myself and gave my testimony. And it was really fascinating because it was, it was a Protestant evangelical group, very evangelical. It was incre- I have great memories of the inspirations I got from them. So I was so grateful for being there. But anyways, I started off um, telling them about my testimony. And then I, I said, I, I was Catholic. And you could see their faces drop. 
it's almost like, okay, we just shut this guy down. And then I said, I'm Catholic, but, you know, they're so messed up, I can't bear to leave them. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we all have a family like that, well, right? And, like, the, and then it was like, the family then, dynamic. Then it, what happened was their faces went up and, and then they went like, sort of like this, like, Confused. oh, oh, that could be us too. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's all of us. That is all of us. You know, yeah. so, um, anyways, it, it, I sort of won them over that way. Mm-hmm. And, but like, I honestly believe you can't, someone once way smarter than me once said, you know, don't look for the perfect church because you'll just ruin it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then mm-hmm. I, I just believe that bloom where you're planted. Mm-hmm. There is so much in Catholicism. I haven't even read. Mm-hmm. That the catechism is like this thick. Mm-hmm. I don't know who other than the priests have actually read it cover to cover. And I keep finding new information in it. And there's probably that in every church yeah. tradition is that we have. And so I think, and the point I want to make is I think that going forward in Canada, and I said this, you know, one of the reasons I am passionate about this and about being an ecumenical hmm. church is that we are small in Canada as yes. a church oh, and yes. we need each other. And I think that honestly, one of the change making things that we're going to see as we move forward and not just, we're going to see, I think we are seeing it Yes, is that younger generations are not necessarily. And I think this is something that nonprofit organizations, mm. denominations, churches are all grappling with mm. is that younger Canadians are not as concerned about denomination as, as I was raised to be originally. Mm. And I mean, now I have, I've actually attended uh, Catholic, Lutheran, Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, Brethren in Christ, um, across the board, Missionary Alliance. So yeah. like I've actually been part of these churches. And I like you, I say, you know what? They're all really good at different things. And what I see is that we all really need each other. Yeah. And we need the part of that humility that we were talking about is saying, I want to learn from you. I may not necessarily agree with everything that you believe because God's leading me in the way he's leading me, but I can learn from you. And we are family at the table. And I have said this to some people, there's always a weird uncle at the table. You might be it. If you don't know who it is, might be you. But at the table is big. And uh, and I think that's a huge part of our change-making moving forward. Yeah, that's very well said. Very well said. Um, And I think think that, um, yeah, I don't know that we have the luxury to work separately the way we mm-hmm. used to. I mean, just the pure, if I, again, if I can be analytical here, the pure economics of it are going to eventually show us that we can't afford to do some of the things we all used to, and we have to work together. Mm. We have to work together. And that working together doesn't necessarily mean uniformity. Mm-hmm. It, it can be unity without being uniform. That's good. We can still have our, our differences. Um, but that's okay. Just like families, mm-hmm. they have different practices, but we can still be friends as families. Mm-hmm. We can still have a group of families come together for a nice pierogi dinner, Ukrainian yes, pierogi dinner. I love it if they're good pierogis. And have, and have <laughs> Christmas Eve dinner a for great us. time and love each other and it, it can, oh, that's good. can all work. And, and I get that, yeah, because our Christmas Eve dinner was pierogies growing up. <laughs> so homemade Varenicke. Yeah. They weren't pierogies, they were Varenicke. Varenicke, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Andy, it is so good to have you here, and I'm really, really glad that you've been able to share so much. I think this has been rich conversation. We're going to have really, we're going to have a lot to, to remark in the show notes so people can um, check out the show notes if you want to reference back to any of those books or things that Andy was talking about. I I hope we get to have you back. I know we're working on a couple different things that are percolating in the background mm-hmm. around um, data and the Canadian church and ministry. And so stay tuned for more on that um, because I, I'm really hopeful that I get to work with Andy and his brain and his heart on that project as well. Um, but I'm so glad that you were here and we have so much to learn. Oh, you know, because we didn't even get to talk about succession and mentoring oh, right. and what you're learning yes. now because yeah, you've yeah. gone back to university. Okay, you've gone back to school. Yeah, that's correct. And some people would say, Andy, you can get better at your golf game at this stage in your career. You don't have to go back to school. You went back to school? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a master's of theological studies. And I, I can only deal with one course at a time. But that's what I, I'm on my third course now. I love it. So, so you're doing that. Yeah. You're also, so we need to, We I want to actually do a panel discussion on next generation 
and succession and mentoring. And so we're going to just have to have you back because we would talk for another hour on that. So um, I'm so excited. I'm so glad you were here today. Thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate the time. Thank you. It's been a great privilege. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Changemakers podcast brought to you by Graf Martin Communications, your marketing team for good. Graf Martin Communications is Canada's leading PR and marketing agency serving faith-based organizations from coast to coast. Visit grafmartin.com to learn more.